You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Colossians. Not Colossians. Okay. Colossians chapter 1. There we go. The first chapter in Colossians. Come on, you guys should know what I mean. I tell that to the, I tell that to the guys that are under me at work all the time. I say stuff. I go, go get me this. And they're like, do you mean you want to nail her? And I'm like, you know what I mean. <laughs> Just go get it. Oh. Okay, so. I was praying and trying to decide what the Lord wanted me to teach on this month, and I was, I was pretty confident he wanted me to go through one of the books in the New Testament, but I didn't know what book, so I was kind of going back and forth. I was kind of listening to different books, trying to see what the Lord wanted me to teach on, and I landed on the, I thought, I thought we were going to go to 1 John and start in 1 John, but he led me to start in Colossians, so I trust this is from the Lord. So we're going to go, I don't know how much of this we'll get through this month, but we'll get through as much as the Lord wants us to. So we're going to start right from the beginning. So. Before we start, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our dearest Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, God. Thank you for this church that you raised up here on the hill, Father. And just thank you for all that you've done to bring us here to this point today. We just thank you for your goodness in our lives, Father. Thank you that we can assemble here in freedom and, Lord, openly worship you today. I pray that as we go through the book of Colossians, Lord, this month and this morning, that you will just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you will speak to the people's hearts here as you've spoken to my heart. Be with everything that I say and do, Lord. Help to be honor and glorify and do. If there's anything that you want me to remove or add, that you would just lead me in that direction. And we will trust you for that. And pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to start off with a little history on the book of Colossians. Colossians is a book that was obviously written by the Apostle Paul, most likely between 60 and 63 A.D. The second verse of Colossians clearly tells us who this book is written to. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Colossae was one of the three cities within sight of one another in the Lycus Valley, sitting by the Lycus River. The other two cities besides Colossae were Heropolis and Laodicea, which were the main cities of the area and were only six miles apart. But Colossae was approximately 12 miles away from these two main cities. And it was the least important or considered the least important of all three of these cities. Colossae was a fertile grazing ground providing a feast for all types types of flocks, and it was also known for its different dyes. It was actually the dye center of the world at that time, which is interesting. Paul never visited Colossae as far as we know. The church had never seen his face as it is stated in Colossians 2.1, and the book, the book of Acts does not record Paul ever visiting the area. He was writing to the church at Colossae to combat some different heresies that had arisen there. Paul mentions both neighboring cities, Laodicea and Heropolis, in his letters to Colossae. Apparently, some of Paul's converts has, had founded the church at Colossae. 
While in, Eph- while in Ephesus for three years, Paul saw to it that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. And that's a direct quote from Acts. Epaphras, who was the fellow servant of Paul, was the pastor of the Colossi church. Apparently, he was also the area pastor of Laodicea and Heropolis. Colossians 1, 7, 4, 12 through 13, and Philemon 23 explain this. The church met in Philemon's home, a convert of Paul, which we see in Philemon verse 10. The church was primarily Gentile in membership, and they were aliens to God's promise to Israel, as stated in Colossians 1.21. Paul speaks of making known the mystery of God to the Gentiles. Colossians 1.27, the church showed some strengths despite the heresies that they held. Those strengths were faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus, and their love to all saints, Colossians 1.4. They were bearing evangelistic fruit, despite these heresies that had started. They were reaching people for Christ, Colossians 1.6 tells us. They were steadfast in their face, Colossians 2.5. This seems to indicate that the heresy had just begun to seep in to the church at Colossae and had not become a major problem yet. Paul's task was to stop these heresies dead in his track, as he often did with many of his letters. So, now we're going to go to verse 1, and first we're going to read verse 1 through 11 to try to get the context here, and then we're going to go back to verse 1 and start getting into this. So let's start in verse 1. We'll read verse 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that ye have to all saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore ye heard of before the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day that ye heard it, and, kn- and knew the grace of God in truth. As he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is your faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto you your love in the declared unto us your love in the spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened. With all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Okay, we're going to really focus on these first 11 verses in the next few weeks. We'll see how far we get. We might get a little bit farther. We might not even get through the first 11 verses. So we'll just see how it goes. But we're going to start right here in verse 1. Let's read verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. Now, the first point I want to make today is what is our profession? What is our profession? The first thing I want us to look at in these first two verses is the phrase, the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by what? The will of God. All right, it's okay, you can speak. All right, by the will of God. As believers, our life has but one profession, and that profession is to do the will of God. 
God has put every one of us on this earth for a specific purpose, and he has a specific plan for every one of our lives. Our work, the church that we attend, the person we marry, the number of kids we have, the ministries that we are involved in, how we spend our time, how we entertain ourselves, everything, every single thing under the sun. If any part of our life is outside of God's specific plan for us, then we are outside of God's purpose for our life in that area. So I got a question. Think to yourself, is there any area of my life that I am outside of the will of God? Since there's no area of our life that should be untouched by God's will for us, and he should have a say in every part of our, every part of our life, no matter how big or small, is there any, even small areas of our life, that are not perfectly inside God's will for us. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now the God of peace that bring, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his what? Will. To do his will. God saved you to do his will. Not your will, not what you want, not to fall off the lust of the flesh. God saved you to do his will. That is your purpose. James 4.15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. For that ye ought to say. What James is saying here is that this ought to be our attitude, okay? This ought to be our attitude. If the Lord will, we shall live. That's the first thing he says. It is ultimately up to God how long our life is here on earth, isn't it? He is the creator, the giver, and the taker of life. It is his choice. We know that life is short. None of us know how short our life is, but we know it's short, obviously, as a vapor. If the Lord will, we shall live. If it's the Lord's will, we will live. And if we live, what does he say next? We should do this or that for however long the Lord grants us on this earth. Our, responsi our responsibility is to do this or that. You know what? That's very undescriptive. Do you know why? Because it covers every area of our life. We are to do this or that or whatever God asks us or calls us to. This was the attitude, the outlook, and the lifestyle of the Apostle Paul concerning his life, and it is to be ours as well. Paul had one profession, one goal, and that was to do the will of God at any cost, no matter what sacrifice it involved. Many times, for us, we're willing to do the will of God until sacrifice is involved. And then when sacrifice is involved, mm, yeah, I don't want to do that we back away and we start fulfilling the lust of the flesh because our flesh says, no, you can't do that or you don't want to do that or, wow, that's going to be a sacrifice. Look what you're going to have to give up to do the will of God. Don't go there. No, but Paul, he was willing to sacrifice the desires of his flesh to do whatever the will of God is and he was our example. We should do that as well. All right, the second point is also in verse one I want to look at is the brotherhood of the believer. The brotherhood of the believer. I hate that I have to take drinks of water while I'm talking. Forgive me. 
the brotherhood of the believer. Notice how Paul addresses Timothy in this first verse. He says, Timotheus, which is, obviously we all know that's Timothy. Timotheus, our what? Our brother. Timotheus, our brother. There is an essential relationship for all of us to have and maintain as believers. And that relationship is between us and other fellow believers. Brothers with brothers, sisters with sisters, brothers with sisters, sisters with brothers. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul mentions Timothy, who was a young disciple and student of his. Timothy had joined Paul to learn all he could about the ministry and to serve right alongside Paul. Let me just say, I'm sure Paul was very thankful for that. I'm, Paul was thankful for any help he could get. I mean, especially when you're, when you're going hard in the ministry, it's the same thing with the pastor. Pa you know, I know the pastor is so thankful for all of you who serve along his side to help support his ministry. And this is what Timothy was to Paul. Not only was he learning from Paul, like literally the greatest guy ever to learn from, but he was also helping Paul in his ministry as well. But even though, even though Timothy was um, a disciple and a student of Paul, Paul didn't say my disciple or my student. No, he didn't. Paul called him a brother. Notice the relationship mentioned by Paul was not that of a disciple or student, but a brother in Christ. And notice also the word that he used, our brother. Timotheus, our brother. The basic relationship between Timothy and the believers at Colossae, because he was writing to the Corinthians, the, belief, or the Colossians, excuse me, he was writing to the Colossians, the basic relationship between Timothy and the Colossians was that of being a brother. Timothy had never met the believers at Colossae, but still Paul referred to him as our brother. All believers, whether we know each other or not, are directly connected in a unique and special way, aren't we? And that unique and special way is through who? Christ. It's through Jesus Christ. We are all connected through Christ. Romans 12, 5 says, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. God is our Heavenly Father. We are his children, and we are all connected through Christ. That is why we on this side of the world can see the hardships and the burdens of our fellow believers on the other side of the world, and we can pray for them here, and God can answer the prayers over there, right? Because we are all connected through Christ. We go, to, we go to Christ, and he helps them over there. Since Christ connects us all, we can pray for our brothers and sisters all the way over on the other side of the world. God will hear and answer those prayers. We are all part of the family of God. We are not only to be lifting each other up in prayer, but we are to be mentoring each other, encouraging each other, discipling each other, and helping meet each other's needs. That is how God designed the family of God to operate. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Now, in this short verse, Paul encapsulates a lot of things and a lot of ways in which we are to treat our fellow believers in Christ. What does he say? He says, Be kind, be affectionate, have brotherly love, honor each other, preferring one another. Now, this word preferring means to go before, to lead by example, okay? And that's what we are to be doing. We are to be seeking to be examples to everyone else around us. And I'm so thankful for the examples that God gave me 
not only in my father, but in the other men of this church to follow when I was growing up. So thankful for the godly examples in this church. But we are all, no matter what age we are, to be examples to other believers. It is what God has called us to as part of his family. Notice in verse 2 that Paul also calls the Colossians brothers, that he also calls the Colossians brothers as well, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, talking about the Colossians. This, this stress is a significant point. There are many different relationships that we have in life. Those different relationships, for example, some are employer and employee, be, neighbor and neighbor, teacher and student, between a friend and friend, a coworker and a coworker. There's merchant and a customer, etc. On and on, we could go with that. All relationships of life are important, and they all have their certain place. Is it important to try to maintain good relationships with people? Yes, it is. That's how we maintain our good testimony, is by trying to maintain a good relationship with people. Yes, that is so important, no matter what that relationship is. But one of the relationships that I think that we don't maintain as much as God desires us to a lot of times is our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other. We need each other. It's how God designed the body to work. He designed us to work together. One of us is the hand. Another one of us is the foot. A foot the foot. Another one's an eye. Another one's a nose. Those are all the gossipers in the church. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but that came to me this morning. <laughs> oh, anyhow, that's as good as my jokes get. All right, so anyhow, there's lots of different parts of the body, right? Lots of different parts. We all make up different parts of the body. We're all not the same. We can clearly look at each other and see that we're not all the same. We need each other. It's how God designed it to be. You may be lacking and struggling in one area, and someone else is not lacking and struggling in that area. They may be lacking and struggling in an area, and you're not. This goes with the things that we struggle with in life. Not only the things that we struggle with in life, but this also goes to the gifts and the abilities that God has given us, right? God has gifted you more in some areas than others, and others more in some areas than you know, than others. You know, I'm, I'm often jealous of a lot of people's gifts. And then I have to be like, no, I know God gave me what he wanted me to have for this life. And I, you know, it's, it's humbling a lot of times, but God has given us all different gifts and abilities. Some of us more than others. And we are to come along as a body together. And once we all come together with all of our gifts and abilities, we all come together to make a, a body of Christ that is unified together. And unity is the key word there. I don't care how how, how well balanced the gifts are in a church, if you're not unified, there's going to be schisms among the body and there's going to be confrontation and division, which we know God hates. So we all come together with our different gifts and abilities in humility underneath the supreme control and power and leading of the Holy Spirit to make up the body of Christ. And we are to be there to support each other and to help each other, not only in prayer, but also in our different gifts and abilities, support one another, but to be there for each other. We are to be open with each other, honest with each other, praying for each other. You know, the accountability that there is among the believers of Christ. That's how God designed it to be. 1 Corinthians 12 talks all about the body of Christ. We're not going to read that, but that's all about the body. Great passage of scripture that explains all this. So, what have we done, knowing that we're supposed to be there for our other brothers and sisters in Christ, what have we done this past week for another brother or sister in Christ? What have we done? Did we pray for them? 
Did we encourage them? Did you help meet one of their needs? If you did, praise the Lord. But maybe some of us didn't. And if you did, did God want you to do more? What are we doing to help support our brothers and sisters in the Lord? And I am definitely guilty at this myself. So I am preaching to myself right now. What are we doing to help the other believers and lift them up and encourage them and support them? These are questions that we all need to ask ourselves. Paul knew that relationships with other believers were essential. This is why wherever he went, he tried to maintain, nourish, and strengthen the relationships by expressing his love and care for the fellow believers and mentoring them through his many letters. Now, if Paul didn't love the other believers and weren't trying to help them grow spiritually, would he have wrote all these letters to these churches? Absolutely not. It was through his love and care for them. And oftentimes, Paul gets a bad rap for being so tough on people, right? A lot of people read Paul's writings and are like, man, that's hard. That is just, I can't do that, you know? But, yeah, Paul had tough love, right? I, um, wasn't it Peter that the Bible says he withstood him to his face? You know, Peter was... Not, he was eating with the Gentiles, and then when some Jews came around, he withdrew himself. I believe that's what it was. Peter withdrew himself, and Paul was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing He withstood him to the face. He openly rebuked him, you know? Paul was a tough love kind of guy, and we need more of that today, amen? I was listening to something yesterday that they were talking about. This guy was talking. He said, the greatest vitamin that children need today is vitamin N, is what he said. He said, they need vitamin N. Children today have a vitamin N deficiency. It is the most important vitamin that any child can possibly get. And there is a deficiency among our children today of vitamin N. And he says, that vitamin N is the word no. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, that is so true. You know, and that's what Paul was. Paul is always given a healthy vice of, or a healthy dose of vitamin no. No, don't do this. Stop doing that. Be, do this, do this. So Paul was all about tough love, but it was because he genuinely had love for the fellow believers of Christ, and he was trying to lift them up and support them and get them to live the most successful, prosperous Christian lives and have the most blessing that they possibly could. And we know that only is going to happen through obedience to the Lord and his word. And that's what Paul was trying to get through all of their thick skulls and what he's, what he's still trying to get through our skulls today as we read the Bible. All right, that brings us to point number three. The third point here is going to be in verse two, and that is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Verse two. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading some notes on a, on a guy from this verse, a commentator that said, that the reason that Paul said here, where is it? To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ is because he was trying to draw a direct distinction between the saints and the faithful brethren. So the saints would have been the more carnal believers and the faithful brethren would have been the more faithful believers. Now, I'm not, I don't know that that's what Paul was trying to say. What I do know is that the Church at Colossae, the Colossians did have some carnal believers in their membership, and that's obvious by, what, by reading the letter and what Paul said. There was definitely some carnal members in their fellowship, okay? So I know that, that's, I know that was the case, but I don't know that that's the distinction Paul was trying to draw there. But the fact remains that even if it wasn't, every church 
has differing levels of spiritual maturity among its believers, right? No matter what church you go to, no matter where you are, there's going to be different, differing levels of spiritual maturity. If God came down and lined every one of us up in this room according to our spiritual maturity level, well, first of all, if God did that, if he came and lined all of us up according to our spiritual maturity level, I think a lot of us would be shocked where we ended up in the line. I think a lot of us think that we'd be a lot closer to the front than we actually are. I know that for a fact. So, that aside, if God came down and lined all of us up according to our spiritual maturity levels, I don't care who would be at the very front of the line. It doesn't matter. The point is, no matter where we are in our spiritual life, there is always some areas of carnality in our lives that we need to get rid of, right? Right? So don't ever think, wow, man, I'm doing pretty good. Wow, I'm really getting up there on the spiritual level. Well, first of all, if you think that way, then we know you struggle with pride. And then second of all is whatever else you struggle with. So no matter where you are, there's always some areas of carnality in our lives. Every one of us, no matter what spiritual level you are on. There are those in the church, though, that we can definitely look at their lives and see the evidences of carnality in their lives. They have no fruit, they're not living for the Lord, and their testimony clearly labels them as a carnal Christian. Now, a carnal Christian could be defined as someone who, is, who has, in the past, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and started following him with their lives, but for some reason, fallen away from following after Christ and started following the lust of the flesh. That's a carnal believer, someone who's following after the lust of his or her flesh. In contrast to that would obviously be a spiritual believer. A spiritual Christian could be defined as those who have set their life apart unto Christ and have continued to grow in the mercy and grace of the Lord. They are loyal and steadfast in their Christian allegiance to Christ, and they have a firm or they are firm in their stance and standing against the ta- attacks of the devil and the attacks of worldliness upon their lives. Now, worldliness is always trying to creep into all of our lives, but a spiritual Christian will be able to resist that with the power of God and not let that worldliness creep into his life and fulfill those desires and lusts of his flesh. The point I'm trying to make is this. Once a person has become a believer and set his life apart to follow Christ, he or she is to be faithful in growing in the Lord. Faithful in growing in the Lord. Your level of faithfulness to Christ is in direct correlation with your level of spiritual maturity. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No matter what our level of spiritual maturity, God wants us to be continually examining ourselves no matter, if you would, no matter if you ended up at the top of the line today, if God was to set, set us all up, even if you were there, it is still your responsibility before God to examine yourselves and say, hey, is there any carnality in my life? Is there any area in which I am giving in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? Is there any areas in my life in which I'm doing that? And we would probably, if we honestly went before God that... Um, honestly took that before the Lord, most likely, 100%, I would say every one of us would find something in our lives that we need to give over to the Lord. Number four, my fourth point today, and my last point, grace and peace. And this is also in verse two. 
grace and peace. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul starts off every one of his New Testament letters, with the exception of Hebrews, but every other one of his New Testament letters, he starts off, and I looked this up yesterday, this is so interesting. He starts off with grace and peace, grace be unto you and peace. Every one of his New Testament letters, grace be unto you and peace. Now, why did Paul start off every one of his letters this way? It wasn't by mistake, right? It wasn't just, you know, Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote these letters. This wasn't a mistake that he put this in here. I think one thing that we can look at, which is a great reason why he did this, there, there, I'm sure there's others, but as I was looking at this, one of the greatest reasons why Paul would have started off his letters with this is because of this. The greatest need of man or, I, or this, excuse me, getting ahead of myself. I believe in the short greeting, Paul covers the greatest need of man and the greatest desire of man in this short greeting. The greatest need of man and the greatest desire of man. First, our greatest need. The greatest need of man is salvation. And that salvation is given to us by what? By grace, by God's grace. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches. And he, is he ever rich? According to the riches of his grace. Grace is the undeserved, and I know we, I know, we know what grace is, but we're going to go through it in a little bit of detail here, okay? Because it's in our passage, so we're going to go through it. Grace is the undeserved and unmerited favor and blessing of God. Grace is the depth and the richness of of the heart and mind of God. Grace is the kindness and the love that dwells within the very nature of God. It is God's nature to extend grace unto us. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for his grace. The key to understanding God's grace is understanding that man does not deserve God. He does not deserve God, does not deserve his favor. He cannot earn God's approval or God's blessings. God is too high, we are too low. God is perfect, we are imperfect. He cannot earn God's approval and blessings no matter what he does, man cannot. Man has rejected God too much. Man has rebelled against God, and this is all of us. Every one of us here have done this. We have rebelled against God. We have ignored God. We have cursed God. We have disobeyed God, questioned God, neglected God, sinned against God, denied God. And as we started off with, we have rejected God. Man deserves nothing except judgment, condemnation, and punishment. But God, in his love, not just his love, but his perfect love, God, in his perfect love, gives us grace. Therefore, God makes it possible for every one of us to experience this grace, grace through his favor and the blessing of salvation. Man's grace sometimes will do something for a friend, and that can be stated as being gracious. If you do something for somebody that they didn't necessarily deserve, you're being gracious to them. Well, that's, our def that, that's what man would do to be gracious. 
What God did is he gave his only begotten son for his enemies. Us, his enemies. Find me another example in history where a father that loved his son willingly gave his son as a sacrifice to save his enemies. I guarantee you, you won't find one. God did that for us because of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Making it obvious there is nothing we can do to, to, to merit this grace of God's. God's grace is a free gift that he extends towards every man. It is through the grace of God that we have salvation. It is through the grace of God that we have every good and perfect gift. Not just salvation. Every good and perfect gift. It is through the grace of God that we have all the good and beneficial things of this life, whether spiritual, physical, or material. It is all given to us by the grace of God. Everything you have is by the grace of God. Nothing that you did, nothing that you earned, it is all by the grace of God. And then is our greatest desire. We're going to go ahead and we're going to stop right there because it's a quarter two and we're going to jump into our greatest the greatest desire next week. So we're talking about the greeting of Paul. First was our greatest need, which is grace, and then our greatest desire, which is peace. And we'll get into that one starting off next week. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.